Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. This is a Paramount Podcast. I am Mike Casaza. Early here, Sunday morning, ready to welcome in Chris Anderson to talk about, well, Chris, the biggest win for Neil Brown as the West Virginia coach? Question mark or period? Maybe period. I think, I think. Uh, it's hard to say like this single one game, but it's not his whole stretch. So let's leave it a question mark for now. We'll keep discussing it. We'll circle back on the end on that one. I think up to date, though, it's hard to pick one when you consider, man, Chris, they end September four and one. I think if we rewound the tape, not of you and I, of course, because we knew this was coming. Other pundits, other fans, fanatics, whatever you want to call them, really wondered, um, Going into this bye week, coming out of September, what shape the program would be in, and exactly how low the cloud that has been hovering above the program would be to the ground, and what type of change that might force. It is nothing like that right now because this is a four and one football team that's two and zero in the Big Twelve. And Chris, if you look at the schedule, they're probably going to be favored in their next two games. One's on the road, one's at home. I'm, I'm not saying they're going to be 6-1, and one, but this is not what people expected, exception being West Virginia University. They they thought they were going to be good. They thought they had a chance to be good. And tonight is one of those games where, to be good, they had to give themselves chances. They had to be really particular about the way they played. But they kind of followed their roadmap to a win, 24-21. Again, not a lot of style points, but... Again, this is not a team that really needs to be interested in style points. Just has to be interested in wins. And right now, four in a row, finding ways to win without a lot of style, but certainly a lot of substance. A lot of substance and a lot of swagger. I it was something I definitely wanted to talk about on this on this post game pod because it was different out there. You could see it. You could see even early on when the game, like when West Virginia did not look good. Um, Garrett Green, I believe it was either the second or third drive, and maybe they're down 14 to seven. Um, at that point, and he is just trash talking as he's leaving the field because they're about to punt like seven different TCU defenders all at once, all at once. And throughout the game, West Virginia players were. Like they weren't backing down. They just seemed to be in TCU's face the entire time. And you could you could sense the entire time both sides of, of what was happening. Like on West Virginia's side, everybody was in the other team's face. They were amped up, obviously emotional with two guys going out with with some serious injuries and kind of just seemed to, you know, take that and use it. And on the flip side, TCU seemed angry. Like even Sonny Dykes, like the way Sonny Dykes was acting was acting like a coach who knows that the game, like there are mistakes that are happening in front of him and the game is slipping away from him or slipping towards, uh, you know, West Virginia, you know, a game that he thinks he should be winning by two touchdowns is still a tie game. And he's just getting more and more and more frustrated with every play. And again, you could just see the emotions for both teams going both ways, and West Virginia just had that uh, that substance, that swagger all night long. 
the two significant injuries in this game, safety Aubrey Burks, carted off, neck brace, um, Neil Brown updated afterwards, conscious the whole time, you know, obviously too soon to know what's going on, but didn't seem like it was as bad as it could be. And then later on, Trey Lathan, that looked pretty bad live. Um, and then the whole right leg is braced. But to what you're saying, Chris, um, right after Burks gets hurt, um, Really good field position for West Virginia's defense right up against the the goal line, which is pretty much a theme of the night, it felt like. But their defense has a lot of reason to be rattled, but collectively um, kind of came together, got a stop, got off the field, and then made the most of that situation right there. And then toward the end of the game, similar situation, Lathan is hurt. And then I'm trying to think if that's the fourth and one um Actually, they get into a third and long, and you have that whole confusion on the field goal, and they end up rushing and kicking them right into Michael Lockhart's hand. Um, but again, two situations where the defense could have been shaken, but collectively had an answer and then decided that it was not going to be one person that would let things fall apart, but it's going to be the one person that would inspire everybody else. And they found something to rally around, which is for weeks and weeks now has been their their thing on defense. They have had a lot of arrows aimed at them about how good they are and how bad they look. This time they lose two very good players in the heat of the action. And then whether it's outside um, outside criticism, outside interest, whatever, or if it's the stuff that happens in the field, they're not going to be derailed. Um, dare I say, Chris, this, this looks like a pretty legitimate defense. Now, we could have well actually hit. We could have well actually Texas Tech. Um, those teams have looked better without West Virginia on the field. And then we talked about some of the exploits for TC's offense before tonight. Great running back, effective passing game. Early on, the offense looked okay, but West Virginia's defense settled in, and you can't well actually this. That's a pretty good offensive team with skill talent at quarterback, at running back, at receiver, and had absolutely nothing going for it in the second half tonight. Yeah, it's something you and I both stressed when we were talking about hit. We were like, okay, yeah, Pitt might suck, but look at Pitt's other games. Like they're still putting up, you know, 21 against uh, Cincinnati. They're still putting up was 30 against UNC. They were still scoring and doing things against other power five opponents that they couldn't do against West Virginia. So no matter how bad you think Pitt's offense was, they were doing better against other people. Uh, same goes for Texas Tech. Same goes for pretty much everybody, but maybe Penn State and even Penn State in some instances. Um, and then today, yeah, I think, we both agree this this was maybe the true litmus, litmus test of what this defense is going to be for the rest of the season. And I'll be frank, it didn't look pretty early. It did not look pretty early. No. Um, was it four plays, three plays that they got down on that first drive for a touchdown? No time flat, just bang, 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 touchdown. Um, first half, first quarter, TCU had 160 yards. Second quarter, another 152 yards. It had 21 points and 312 yards at halftime. And then in the second half, 121 yards. I'm pretty sure like most of those came off those last couple drives where they ended up with zero points. So three touchdowns, halftime adjustments, three touchdowns in the last three games too. And they've really choked teams out in the third and fourth quarters too. So whatever you say about adjustments being overrated at halftime, I'm not sure that's true. Uh, and also like they've made some serious adjustments to the way they looked early on in the season, the way they look right now. This looks like a formidable defense, probably top shelf in the Big 12. I'm not saying it's a top defense in the Big 12, but if you looked around, there are a lot of points going up in a lot of other games, except the ones that are involving West Virginia. Um, with some help from their special teams, Texas Tech gets a lot of points today against Houston. Um, 
didn't happen against West Virginia last week. So there's something to be said about that because three games before this, four games before this, TC would score a lot of points and had had its ways at times with teams offensively. Not the case tonight there too. Where do we start about this one, Chris? Um, we we can start at the finish, and then I don't. We're gonna have to look this one up. But two blocked field goals. Um, I think I probably have to tip my cap to you because I'm pretty sure you said special teams would be our talking point when we spoke after midnight here, and, and here we are talking about Michael Lockhart and Sean Martin blocking field goals. Um, West Virginia makes a field goal, but that turns out to be the difference because TCU missed a field goal when. Actually, West Virginia missed a field goal, too. Especially teams lingered in this game for a while. But at the end of the game, they took six points off the board because they got their hand in the air and really pushed and pressed on long field goals. Yeah, I did, I did say special teams, although my thought was that maybe West Virginia could get some chunk yardage from kick returns. I'm looking at this. If I'm looking at it correctly, um, you know, Jaheim White had one for 18. Not great. Uh, Preston Fox, a couple nice returns for him. Can you, continues to be the next Tavon Austin statistically mm-hmm. and um but yeah like man michael hayes uh kudos to him drilled that 49 yarder and, you know that, that's the game winning kick and it felt like it at the time like it wasn't like one of those it happened in the middle of the third quarter and then it just eventually became the game winning kick that was fourth quarter you know he's kicking it 49 yards like that's not easy um on the road right down the middle drilled it he drilled was a 53 yarder before that false start. And then he get takes the miss for a 58 yarder. That's, that's rough. And felt Oliver straw was great in punting. Like, I don't know what his average is. I'll see if I can pull it up real quick, but even if the numbers aren't great, I mean, average 46, that is great. That's great for him, especially, but even if they weren't 45, 50 or longer, he just takes like, he like reads the rush. And he can go anywhere from I'm going to punt it with one step to I'm going to kind of linger for a couple seconds because they're not rushing and then punt it. And then there's just no way for the other team to return it. And it was just it was just good stuff from the punting team all night. He's going to run the ball soon. Oh, I thought he was going to on one. I mean, there was one where he went to his left and. He kind of stuttered, stepped, and waited, and waited, and waited, and I was like, it's there. It's kind of there. Yeah, I think they're going to tell him run. Uh, West Virginia tonight, 201 yards rushing, no sacks allowed, had the ball for almost 33 minutes. And just <laughs> to keep saying this about these guys here, but like they have a very specific way they have to play, and they got there, but it looked like it was going to be elusive early on because you're wondering, boy, if they go down 10 nothing, 14 nothing, can they play their style? They got that early score back from Green, and they settled in, and they played their style. I did wonder about what would happen in the second half because TCU plays to get to that fourth quarter. They run the ball so well so often. It does kind of grind teams down. They don't win time of possession, but they run a ton of plays, and it wears you out because they score a lot, shorter drives, quicker scores, so on and so forth. Uh, West Virginia really took care of business in the third quarter. Um, Just one yard of offense for TCU in that quarter, and then the time of possession and all that stuff was on West Virginia's side because – um, they just made it so it was it was pretty impressive the way they handled that third quarter. Fourth quarter they didn't have to really worry about it too much. Although TCU did have significant edges, but they were trying to get it back, had to hurry. And then if you saw TCU play in a hurry at times today, it did not work out. Um, hurried into a fourth down, turned it over on downs, just really kind of clumsily hurried into a field goal attempt that got blocked. 
that didn't work. Just didn't seem like they were in the best shape in a lot of times, which leads me to this, Chris. Save that false start on the field goal. And then I believe one time, two dead ball timeouts, I believe, but just didn't do the stuff that would cost them the game where TCU, again, hurried into this, didn't do that. Even at the end of the game, I was wondering why they called a timeout. Um, you know, you want to kick that field goal to walk off with minimal time on the clock, give West Virginia as, as limited time as possible. But I guess my point being here is that West Virginia seemed to be really buckled in the entire game up to and including taking that blow early on where they give up a long touchdown pass where some of their better players made bad plays, but never panic, which is probably getting to what you're, you're, you spoke to earlier. They just seem like they're very confident in what they do. They will not abandon their plan because their plan has not abandoned them so far. At that point, when it was 7 nothing TCU, uh, well, all the goodwill from the three-game winning streak is gone in a matter of two minutes and 45 seconds. I I wondered aloud about the decision. They won the kick. They won the coin toss yeah. and elected to start on offense. You got any thoughts on that, real quick? They're confident, man. Okay, I, I mean, if, if you're confident, you're confident. I did not like it, given the strengths of the team, and knowing like, hey, if you don't get this going, it's going to come back to bite you because then TCU is going to start the second half, and it looked like it was. It could have been a huge swing because TCU got that touchdown. The first touchdown West Virginia's allowed in the final two minutes of the first half this season. And then um, TCU's getting the ball to start the second half. That could have been a big, big swing there. Uh, Then, yeah, three and out, wasting a timeout, 59 seconds into the game. Then running. By the way, I, I, I didn't even note this, and somebody else pointed it out, and I was like, no way. I have to go back and watch this, but. They started to run that play on third down, but called a timeout, but they were able to start the play, and they started to run it. Got the timeout, went to the sideline, came back out. Same play. And then ran the same play. Yeah. And it got stopped, shockingly. Um, yeah, that was that was a tough start. And, but, again, that speaks to this team, like you said. like just, I, I think that was something I'm not sure we had seen. I mean, we'd seen them take, you know, take it on the chin with like, you know, an injury to Garrett Green, six plays into the game and and stuff like that. But as far as like the on the field score or something like that, see them come back and be like, wow, we just really took it right there. And they did, and they just came back and beat them. And that, I think that speaks to the confidence that you're talking about. PC was hot early on. We mentioned the early touchdown, short pass, long run. Opie Burks had an angle on a tackle, missed it. it happens. Um, they were five for six on third down to start the game. Chris, they ended six for 16. I'm no mathematician, but that goes out to one for 10 to end the game. Um, get out the field, you'll be good. And the, it just seemed like the longer this game went, the more and more TCU kind of realized this is kind of slipping away. We got to get this going. You look down and Imani Bailey doesn't have a lot of carries or doesn't have a lot of yards. Then they give him a bunch of carries, still doesn't have a lot of yards. And then they're trying to make plays, but they really don't have Again, they don't they don't have a Quentin Johnson, a Tay Barber, or Darius Davis. They have some people who can do some things with the ball in their hands and like, wow, that looked pretty good, but fleeting. Um, we mentioned that Richardson had the fifty nine yard touchdown. He had eighty seven yards receiving. That's their top receiver, but um the other catch and run was on a fourth down where they just they just caught West Virginia in a bad spot. It, it wasn't a great play by West Virginia's defense. I'm not I'm not giving them uh, a break on this. It wasn't good, but it was a fourth down play where everybody's going one way and the pass is going the other, but 
just a few exceptions that TCU did make count, did make those count. That's good for them. But it just seemed like between the five sacks, the nine tackles for a loss, the consistent get off the field on third down. And again, just keeping them starting average starting field position, Chris, is the 22 yard line several times inside the 20 or backed up. Um, it's going to be hard, it looks like, to consistently go down the field against West Virginia. You might have an 80-yard drive or an 82-yard drive or a 76-yard drive. Are you going to be able to do that three or four times in a game? I don't know. I don't know about that right now because it, it's it's easier now to believe in this defense and what you're seeing because they've done it consistently, and I would say against an increasing level of offensive talent. You start with Pitt, not great. TCU, pretty good in between Texas Tech. It, again, it, it's hard not to be a little bit more impressed every time you see them, but if you're going to have to march the field, you're going to have to play pretty well consistently. If you do it once, fine, but do it two or three times because maybe West Virginia can find two or three scores on offense, especially if their defense is giving them short fields, which happened a lot today. Average field position, the difference is 15 yards today. Pretty significant. Felt like, I mean, heck, I'm surprised it was only 15. It sure felt like some more because you're right. But just the way West Virginia's defense was was doing it and the special teams were were handling um, their duties, it really felt like West Virginia was always kind of starting in a good spot and moving. Well, they may not have been moving downhill very well, but they were at least starting in a good spot. Um, do we want to we want to do one of these compliment sandwiches thing where we start out with some positive stuff and now we get into this little bit of some negativity before yeah. we go back to the positive? Because then I have a few questions for you too, so let's do that. We'll sandwich the beginning of the, uh, beginning of the podcast the end of the podcast, my questions, and in the middle of the sandwich is your compliment sandwich. Sound good? Oh, okay, I thought you were... I, thought I, was, I was the only one going to be negative. I, I didn't want to be the only negative, but yeah, I mean, you got to come out of here thinking some things that need to be fixed for sure. So let's talk about that for a minute. Walk-on tryouts for linebacker and safety? And, and receiver? And maybe figure something out at running back too? Which side of the ball you want to try start on? I, the, the it's such a razor thin margin. And I just think that I think TCU might be good. And I think they're going to look back and be like, how the heck did we lose this game at home against this team that doesn't have depth and can't make splash plays. <laughs> uh, but again, like West Virginia created the differences, like blocking field goals is significant. If you block a field goal in a game, um, that's, that's a needle mover. You block two, <laughs> that's a needle mover. Right. And, and again, you get nine tackles for a loss and five sacks. That's 14 negative plays. TCU had 79 plays, 14 of them were negative, 18 of them were incomplete passes. So 32 of their 79 plays weren't good, just were not good. Uh, lost yardage or didn't move yardage. And then there was one, let me see here, yeah, that's, yeah 14. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big number. So anyways, um, continue with your point because I want I don't want to get in the way of this. I have something I'm working on, but go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I'm doubt. Uh, we'll, we'll continue with a little more positivity here because the defense. Yeah, that's this is going to be rough with some guys that were going down. Obviously, Trey Lathan. Uh, please do not go watch the replay, but um, oh. it 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 looks like a season ender. Yeah. Again, um, rule of thumb: when the other when players are around you who may not have even seen it, um, either they heard it or they look down and they call the sideline. That's that's pretty bad. Do not. I would skip past that one if you're doing the YouTube review. And for the TCU fans who were booing, um, when the head trainer for West Virginia is literally has his hands in two spots, holding his leg in place, another guy has a pump out pumping up an air cast, 
and a third trainer is screaming and motioning for a cart to come out and get him as quickly as possible, he's probably not faking a cramp. Mm-hmm. Just, just a little, you know, piece of advice there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me write that but one. But things are going to get thin. We, I mean, we've talked about this before these injuries, before anything. Things are thin at a lot of spots on defense, and with Lathan out, that is going to hurt. That's going to make things even tougher. With Aubrey Burks, we don't know how long it's going to be, but you know, obviously they're going to try to play it safe with anything that might be related to the head or neck area. Um, no one's said specifically what it is yet as of us doing this podcast, but Neil Brown says they're hoping, or he got good news, hoping he's going home with the team tonight. Um, who knows if he'll be back after the bye week? Like, it's just hard to speculate on that. But either way, get this thin. We're not even halfway through the season yet. Getting close, not quite halfway. There's a lot of Big 12 games left to go, and and this is where things get rough, and this is where we've said before, we've said in years past, that West when West Virginia stumbles, it's because maybe some of their starters are on par with a lot of starters in the league, but it's once you get to that 18th through 22nd through 32nd guy on the field where West Virginia really starts to kind of fall behind talent-wise. And now you're going to be going even deeper down that rabbit hole looking for other guys with these injuries. And, I mean, some guys they stepped in tonight, looked looked good. I thought Ben Cutter, he had a couple missed tackles out there, but he was getting reps even before Lathan got hurt. Uh, they were kind of rotating them back and forth. Um, I thought Anthony Wilson, I believe it was like a Wilson-Floyd combo. After Burks went out, is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anybody else played beside those two. Yeah, and, and I thought I thought they were fine. Like, I mean, there were the missed tackles earlier, but that included Burks. That included, and then McLaurin goes out. So then you're you're kind of all over the place. I think Lance Dixon was in a lot after that. But some yeah, somebody's yeah. gonna have to step up, and and tonight with some stopgap fixes, they stepped up. So yeah, and it's not just that you know you lose Latham for that looks pretty serious. I don't know what the deal with with I I know what the deal is with Burks. I don't know how long he'll be out, but like okay, you bring in a replacement for one of those two, but like you're not just bringing in a replacement. You're you're bringing in somebody who will be behind Jeremiah Trotter, probably at linebacker, and you're bringing in somebody who will be behind Keyshawn Cobb, probably at safety. And those are players who are out for the year already. Um, they do have linebackers they could use. They could get Caden Beiser for some action. They could play uh, Jaido Favors for some action, but those are guys who don't play. And for reasons that are obvious, they're special teams players. That's good. But they would be stretched out a little bit more right now. I would say, especially a linebacker, they're going to have to get snaps because, well, that's your starting will. Um, they can start Cutter, but we'll see. thought it was really interesting at the end of the game. They were like, you know what? Cutter's in. He's going to have to play. Let's play him. And they blitz with Koba. They did regular stuff, and they let Cutter do the 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 stuff that a Will typically does, and it didn't hurt him. Um, he chased some people. He ran around, but he he was active at least. He got in the way. He he made some things happen just by being there. And, you know, you kind of you, you, you win by trying sometimes, and that was good enough. Um, secondary is going to be a little bit different because they only have two safeties they play. I don't think I saw anybody else unless they snuck like Avery Wilcox on the field, which I didn't notice, or if they got – I didn't see Josiah Jackson. I'm trying to think of who the other safeties are, Chris. Pretty pretty thin here right now if they go to that situation. So that'll be good. Uh, and then you mentioned receiver. Um, yeah, Jeremiah Aaron and Cortez Bram no longer with the program. As far as I know, 
and we might know more about this later on, but I even think the ones that you might inject in this conversation are not probably applicable. But as far as we know, those are your only self red shirts. They decided they were not going to play on, but um, those weren't players anyways that were really making a difference this year. But boy, they just they just do have a hard time getting open right now. And and there are times where you look at Garrett Green, you say, wow, 10 for 21, um, ran a lot sometimes because he didn't have an option to throw it, but sometimes he really didn't have an option to throw it. I'm not sure TCU secondary um, is like water and covers 70% of the earth and all of West Virginia's game plan. It sure looked like it at times, like just, the guys couldn't get open. They couldn't make things happen. And when they did, it was okay, but it just didn't happen consistent enough. And I don't know how they're going to fix that. Um, did see some players that were involved in the game plan a little bit more. That's promising, but pretty average and maybe even below average offensive stats again. I think I think essentially this receiving core is below average for an FBS program right now. What's being what's being put out there as far as getting separation from defensive backs. And tonight they were going up against one of the best secondaries they will face all season. Um, so it was a tough matchup. But just just seeing some of the plays that you had to replay and you'd see guys going down trying to get separation and they're just blanketed like and and it affects everyone is the problem it's not just that you can't throw to that receiver but it just lets the defense know like hey we can just play man on these guys we don't have to have extra help we don't have to double we don't like the safeties can cheat in in the box and all of a sudden now they're doing run blitzes and getting to the quarterback and they can have a spy on Garrett Green and it, it's just a domino effect if your receivers cannot get separation from their man it makes it tougher on your running backs. It makes it tougher on your offensive line. It makes it tougher on your quarterback. It, it shuts everything down or slows everything down. And, you know, West Virginia is having to fight uphill in part because the receivers cannot get separation from defensive backs. Yep. Running backs, um, leading rusher tonight is Garrett Green, 12 carries, 80 yards, two scores. C.J. Donaldson, 22 carries, 61 yards, one touchdown. That is 2.8 yards per carry. And then he gets stonewalled twice uh, from the one-yard line, um, third and goal and fourth and goal. First run did not look inspired at all. If, if you go back and you watch him hammer the ball at Pitt on the goal line and you go back and you watch him mm, not hammer the ball at TC on the goal line, especially in the third down run tonight, it looks like a different guy right now. Um, and and again, Neil Brown says you'd have to ask him. Would like to. Haven't had a chance to. Hasn't talked. Haven't been able to talk to him for a couple of weeks. But I don't know. Something isn't right there. Promising though, Chris. Jaheim White, five carries, 46 yards, was on the field a bunch. But also, he was your default backup running back tonight. Um, Jalen Anderson did not practice at times during the week. I believe that was illness is what I was told. Justin Johnson gets one carry for negative two yards. I think he played a small number of snaps. I didn't see Anderson at all. He did dress. He was with the team, but um, 201 yards nevertheless because they got their running quarterback back, and that was enough to get around the obstacle of whatever was wrong with the running game tonight. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is going to be here. It felt to me... And you're right. I think you reported like previously that Anderson had not really practiced um, during the week, some this week or leading up to it a little bit. But it seemed like the coaching staff was like, all right, CJ, you know, like 
last week was not great. And Neil Brown came out and said, I believe it was on Monday where it was just like somebody asked if CJ Donaldson was hurt. And I was like, no, he's not hurt. He's just got to play better. Period. Like, and that was it. It was just very matter of fact that CJ Donaldson was not playing up to par. That's not my opinion. That's not, I mean, it might be my opinion too, but it's the coaching staff's take on the situation. And they gave him the ball. Like, they didn't split carries to start the game. Um, Like, I I don't believe anybody else got a carry, other than Green, of course, until, like, Jaheim White didn't get his first carry until they were halfway through the second quarter, I believe it was. And Justin Johnson's came in the second half. So they were like, hey, CJ, this is your game. We're going to give you first crack at it. We're going to give you a lot of cracks at it. And nothing. And, And that's, like you said, I think the most alarming part was just like the, that, that that third down run, right before when he got stuffed at the one yard line, right before they got stuffed on fourth down as well. Fourth down, he had no chance. I mean, they had four or five guys in the backfield. Yeah, that third down one, he did have a chance, and it was, I believe, he's uninspiring. I think that's a good way of putting it. All right, Chris, let's wrap up with a, a couple of questions here. Go for it. I don't like this phenomenon I'm noticing in the NFL game more so than the college game, but I've seen the college game now, especially tonight, where you have a clear miscommunication between a receiver and a quarterback. And a guy throws the ball into the end zone, and the receiver is running an out or a slant or whatever, and they call intentional grounding. Don't like that. But I can understand the explanation. How on earth was that not intentional grounding on... Chandler Morris, when he's on his head, Sean Martin's sacking him. <laughs> and he just throws the ball randomly toward absolutely nobody. I don't care if there was a receiver over there that was on his team. It looked like there was an offensive lineman in the vicinity. Um, this is the play on the final drive for TCU where the, it was a sack. It was agreed. It wasn't a sack. It was an incomplete pass. I'm not even sure how they got to that conclusion. But also, it was an incomplete pass, but it wasn't intentional grounding. Do I not know the rules? Am I? In, do I need to learn ball? What's going on here? I don't know. I, I didn't see the receivers or where they were placed from that throw. Uh, we want to call it that. It's honestly, when I, at first glance, as it was happening, I thought just the way he had been kind of bent over and wrapped up, that it was almost like the ball literally like bounced out, like just because he had been bent backwards and it just kind of bounced up in the air. Um, so I saw the replay and that it was an actual throw. It's kind of caught off guard. Um, I don't know. I think the refs had a rough night tonight, but it is what it is. I mean, they, they, some of the stuff that went on tonight was a little weird. It was strange. Sure. It was strange. Yeah. Um, finally, maybe with an addendum, but finally, 10 for 21 passing, 142 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, 43 rushes, 43 rushes. 201 yards, three touchdowns, um, six receivers catch 10 passes, but they average 14, 14.2 yards per completion. Um, 343 yards of offense, Chris, four of 13 on third down, two of three in the red zone. We keep saying this is not sustainable, but this team has won four games in a row with just eh, offense. Is this sustainable? And I ask you that knowing that the next few games, Chris, at Houston against Oklahoma State at home, 
Those are not offensive juggernauts. Is this sustainable? For, for bowl eligibility? Sure. Let's put it that way. Can WVU get to six wins after four? Yes, sure. I think so. But I think if you want to set the bar higher, it is not. I believe that's the right answer. Um, it's sustainable okay. for a specific goal or a set of goals. I'm not sure whose goals those are or who has shared those goals, which leads to a whole other conversation about what type of metrics change when you look at the team's record right now and then who is left in the schedule and how they're doing and, more importantly, how they're not succeeding in ways that West Virginia is and could um, this season, which makes you think about, okay, what is going to be good enough in the future? But let's not have that conversation today. What do you think? Fine. Can I give you one stat and ask you one question? Please. All right. First stat, West Virginia has now won four games in a row when they throw under 150 yards. <laughs> That's the new benchmark. You want to actually go under the benchmarks now. Mm-hmm. So West Virginia is 4-0 and in the last four games where they've thrown under 150, fewer than 150 yards. At Oklahoma State in last season, Pitt, Texas Tech, and now this game. Uh, four in a row. Sustainable. And now my question. <laughs> it's uh, obviously sustainable. I don't know when we have, when the, the breaking point is, but it's sustainable. It's now covered over two seasons. So there we go. Um, My question. I saw athletic director Ren Baker on the, on the sideline talking to Neil Brown during the game between plays. Am I crazy or is that not normal? And did Shane Lyons ever do that? Shane would be on the field, but I don't think he ever got inside that 25, right? Um, okay, yeah. And, but yeah, he was he was noticeable. Um, nice shirt, by the way. Um Maybe he was trying to like just tell Neil what the heck happened to Jose Perez. Too soon? Uh, it's never too soon. It's it never stops. Neil's a Neil's a basketball guy. Maybe he wanted to know about what, what happened here. It's possible. Hmm. I that was that was noticeable too. And like normally when the AD is on the field, that's not a good thing. You might get kiffened. Um no danger of that for Neil Brown. And good for him. He gets out of September 4-1. and one. Again, maybe the best one of his career. Certainly, I don't think any argument here, the best month of his career. Um, certainly turn a lot of doubters into, well, maybe not believers or climbers, but I don't think you have near the number of adamant skeptics and doubters that there were before, too. So that'll be good. Uh, Chris, yeah, what's and I think again? that's something that needs to be stressed to some of the people listening. And again, we know there are not going to be, and it's only 4-1 and one and things could go bad after this. And but we know there are a lot of people listening that, it's going to take 11 and one before you might change your mind. But the halftime adjustments of this game were dramatic and that's coaching the TCU game. As he noted, it's like the same player or the Texas tech game, the same players running the same offenses and the same defenses going against each other and a completely different result than last year. And I think that's coaching as well. So it's something that you have to give credit to them for, even if you kind of don't want to. Yep. And the offense is different with green. It just is like, I don't know that the entire organization knows that yet or wants to lean all the way into that, but because they do, they do hit the governor sometimes and they slow things down and they run plays that seem like they're pretty moss and might not work. And it's going to take high level execution to make succeed. And then they don't quite have that in, in abundance right now, but he's, he's got different juice than Marchio does. And, and 
he may Marky may one day have it, but right now Green definitely brings you something they don't have. So um, that offense could could hit its stride and go with a couple of weeks of him at practice performing at an increasingly effective level, then all of a sudden you got a pretty good defense, I think, paired with a kind of a punchy offense that can get hot or at least has a guy who can do some things that really keep a defense honest. And that's the one thing for West Virginia's defense. You got to keep defenses honest because if they, they sit in the run, they're going to, they're going to have a hard time running. And they're, they're, I'm not saying they're having a hard time running now. They ran for 200 yards, but a lot of that's the quarterback. And then that guy did just miss a game. So how sustainable is that? We'll see. Chris preview what's coming up here in the next uh, couple of days. Cause we have some time off before we have another normal game week routine. Yeah. We'll get into the, the oh God, we're going to have the bye week open week debate. Or so it's called an open week to make you happy. I won't get mad. That's fine. I'm in a good mood. Okay. All right. Open week. We'll get yeah. into some things. We'll take some look at the uh, position group rankings, do a little report card on how things are going so far this season. Just some recap. I guess we're going to have to talk about basketball. I'm going to get forced into it here. Um, I mean, Basketball's kicking off, practices are starting, all that stuff. So we were trending that direction, but looks like our hand's going to be forced a little bit with with the news out tonight that Jose Perez is no longer on the team. Um, yeah, maybe a little more recruiting too. Um, you know, this is the week where they'll start getting out. They'll be out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, going to see some players and scouting out some guys. So uh, keep an eye out for those updates as well. Three things I think. Three things I know. Snap counts ought to be really interesting. This is the first time they've been at seventy players for a road game, and they had to use a bunch of them tonight for for different reasons. And then this will certainly shape their thinking going forward because uh, on the road again next week, home game, but they play some significant road games and they have some some personnel challenges, uh, invited and not invited, that they're going to have to figure out what to do with. So we will uh, get to the bottom of that before too long. Podcast Q and A coming up. Just just a robust week with the four and one football team at our fingertips here. Can't wait to dig in and see what's going on and what awaits the Mountaineers. Until then, I am Mike Casazza. I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.